0: Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Over these past weeks, uh, Mitch has been conducting for us a a series on who is the centre And uh, he's been preaching through that. Murray last week, uh, starting to look at the, the ministries of the Men's Shed and Care and Concern. And today we're looking at another aspect, and that is building a discipleship community. That's our topic today, building a discipleship community. Most people long for community. I'm sure there are some people that genuinely want to live as hermits. And every now and again we, we read accounts of people who have been discovered living alone. No one knows anything about them. They've been discovered days after they've been living and isolated. But research would show us that most people long for community, a place to belong and a people to belong to. And I think that's been very graphically and perhaps tragically illustrated with the um, alleged abduction of Cleo Smith, Over these last weeks, over the last months, as we witnessed the unfolding of that. And what a a great joy it was for her to be reunited with her family. I cannot imagine, as a a father and now a new grandfather, what that would be like um, to have a child snatched away and not know where they are. But I want to concentrate for a moment on the accused abductor, a fellow called Terence Kelly. It appears that two years ago he lost his rock, the rock of his life, the anchor of his life, his grandmother, a lady who would love him and was constant around him. And he became increasingly isolated, became almost a recluse. And there was a fascinating article in last weekend's a Weekend Australian, if you're wanting to read that, which unpacked some of this man's journey how I wish that this fellow had been able to find a community, a church community who would both point him towards Jesus and God's love for him, but also to be able to nurture him and to disciple him and take him on a journey with Jesus. Mother Teresa said that loneliness and the feeling of being uncared for and unwanted are the greatest poverty. Loneliness and the feeling of being uncared for and unwanted ...are the greatest poverty and this man was experiencing deep, deep poverty. He longed for community and with no close friends of his own... ...and being so isolated, he built his own community, virtually. Virtually. He he surrounded himself with hundreds of dolls. And then he opened up Facebook and Instagram accounts in his own name under aliases, and the names of his imaginary daughters. And so many of the posts consisted of he receiving messages from his imaginary daughters telling him how much he was loved and how much he was valued. Man, that is a sad, sad case, isn't it? A man who genuinely wanted community, found none in the real world... ...and wanted to create his own community virtually... ...and then that virtual community did not satisfy. and never does. And tragically, he stepped outside that, it would appear... ...to abduct a little girl. People longing for belonging. People longing for community. So what does it mean to build a discipleship community? What's distinctive about a discipleship community apart from longing for community. Well, a disciple, as many would know, means a follower. A follower. So someone's going to say, well, a discipleship community, that means a group of people who are following one another. Surely um, Facebook and Instagram are discipleship communities. After all, I can see there what someone's had for breakfast or lunch. I can see where they've been, what they've done. I'm following them and I'm getting to know all about them. Well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble about discipleship communities. I don't particularly want to talk about that particular discipleship community. You'll see I'm not a great fan of Facebook or social media, but that probably shows you where I am. Um, and so I'm not wanting to talk about that discipleship community. i want wanting to talk about a discipleship community in the constant context of a group of people who are real people encouraging other real people in their journey ...into following Jesus and committing themselves to what Jesus has. I want to come back to this verse that M read for us earlier. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Just three things that flow out of that one simple verse. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Well, I know there'll be some today. Well, of course I am. I wouldn't be here or wouldn't be streaming in without being a follower of Jesus. I'm not talking about are you attending church or are you streaming into church? I'm asking the question, are you a follower of Jesus? Mitch a couple of weeks ago spoke about his experience in growing up and struggling to stay awake in church. It didn't captivate him at that time in his life. He wasn't committed to following Jesus. He was in church. My earliest recollections of life are probably at the age of two or three sitting in a stroller while my mum taught Sunday school. And then as I grew, Sundays were a very regimented and structured imprisonment in one way. Nine thirty Sunday school, eleven o'clock worship service, three o'clock Christian Endeavour, five o'clock fellowship tea or men's tea, seven o'clock evening service. Man, that was Sundays gone. You know, I was a fellow that loved the outdoors, still do love my sport, and for me, I that wasn't freedom. People might have talked about the freedom that Jesus offers. I wasn't experiencing that freedom. I was caged. I was caged. And it was easy for me to miss the freedom that Jesus came to give. And because of that, because of that, I had the wrong idea of what being a follower of Jesus was. I thought a follower of Jesus was someone that wanted to be locked up on a Sunday rather than someone that could be truly free. There was an Indian fellow, Rabindranath Tagore. And he actually talked about freedom. And he said something like this. Well, he said exactly this. I have a violin string on my table. And if I twist the end of it, it is free to move in whatever direction. It is free to move. But it's not free to sing. It's not free to sing. And so I take it and I fix it into my violin. I bind it. And when it is bound, it is free to sing. And that is a picture. That's the paradox of life with Jesus. We can think we're free going off and doing whatever we like. But the reality of the matter is that we don't find the freedom that Jesus offers. We don't truly follow him until we bind ourselves to Jesus, until we... Take up our cross and follow him and until we can truly take hold of life. Perhaps uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's most famous uh, saying was, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that's what being a true follower of Jesus is because the paradox is that when we take up a life with Jesus, when we take up our cross, when we leave behind all the impressions that we have of what's going to build a good life for ourselves and we take hold of what Jesus has for us, we find life that is truly life. That's what Jesus came to bring. Have you found that today? Perhaps you've been sitting in church for many, many years and you're a follower in terms of coming to church, but you really don't know what it's like to take up your cross and to follow Jesus and to discover life, life in all its fullness. But if you're wanting to investigate that later today, I invite you to go down to the the prayer area at the back thereafter. I'd love to have a chat with you and our prayer team would as well. See, following Jesus is a decision of the mind. It's a head decision that says, I'm going to stop going my way. I'm going to recognise that my pride's not going to cut it. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to walk the other way and I'm going to follow Jesus. The first part of follow me, the call that Jesus has given us, is a decision of the mind. It's a head decision. And then Jesus says, and I will make you become. I will make you become. How does Jesus make us or remake us? What does that, what does that mean? Well, God. God's plan for us is that our lives be conformed to the life of his son. That our lives are conformed to the life of Jesus. So that the things that break our heart, things that break Jesus' heart, so things that break our hearts. So we are changed from the inside out. So we are being people who can not just be transformed by Jesus, that then be moved on to help transform the world in the way that God wants us to do that. It is possible for us to be people who can quote Scripture, chapter and verse, and we can do that very well, but that's not enough. God wants to transform our hearts. God wants to do his work in us and give us a heart for those who don't yet know Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews makes it pretty clear that it's possible to have a head knowledge about, about the things of faith and yet not still be living that out and taking in meat. We've got those verses from uh, Hebrews up there. And he says, you see, it's hard for me to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In other words, he's saying, you think you've got it all. You think you've got the whole thing nailed. You think you know all about this Christian faith. He said, but because of that, I can still only give you milk. I can't feed you meat. I cannot feed you meat. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And here's a key verse for us. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What's the solid food? What's the meat? Well, Jesus gave us a clue on that. Jesus said, My meat, my solid food is to do the will of him who sent me. And so, what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is, Yep, all that teaching's great. That teaching's great. But you've got to move beyond that now. I want to transform your life to rub shoulders with what is happening in your world. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard movement, said, The meat is on the street. The meat is on the street. What do you mean by that is, When we get out there on the street, when we see the plight and the brokenness of the world, when we recognise uh, things and the people around us like a Terence Kelly who have no connection and who, who can't find the meaning of life, when we see that, we start to ask the question, well, how does this faith that I have intellectually and how does what God has told me and I believe in the scriptures and I take hold of, how does that change my heart? How does that change my heart so I can be the hands and the feet of Jesus? Because the meat is on the street. That's where the brokenness is. Being remade by Jesus is a change, a heart, a heart change. And then we get to the hands. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Does it mean to be fishes of men? Got to be careful about how we talk about fishing for people. Um, years ago, years ago, there was a cult around um, called uh, the Family Children of God. They they started to establish themselves in Cranston Road, believe it or not, at one stage. Um, and uh, they promote a thing called flirty fishing. Okay, so flirty fishing, and as a name implies, it was basically an invitation to join a sex cult. So I might leave that little bit behind and move on to other ways that we might go fishing uh, this morning. Um, Whether that's in our families or amongst our friends or in our workplaces or even through the ministries of our church, we have the immense privilege, huge privilege and a responsibility of inviting people to see the love of Jesus Christ for them to take hold of hope, and to be able to live with that. So some questions for us this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, do you know how to fish? Do you go fishing? Do you feel equipped to share your faith? Does it come naturally? Can you talk about the difference that Jesus has made in your life? And if you are struggling in that area and you'd like to understand more and be better equipped with that, we have some resources that we can work through. So I'd invite you to come and see me after and to chat through some of those things. And the other way is to get involved in the outreach ministries of our church, whether that's in the sports centre, in the cafe, um, in our playtime group, in our Friday night youth or in our men's shed, ministries like that where we are rubbing shoulders with the people of our community to be able to assess needs we've got an increasing number of people that have been trained as chaplains are going into our different ministries our men shed have got seven chaplains in there alone we've got others that are moving into our sports center we can have you trained and then journey through together because they are our fishing grounds in many ways but I also want to encourage us this morning I don't want people to be loaded up with guilt about what you may or may not be doing. I want you to be encouraged. We're going to see a video. um, And this is um, just an account from a couple who attended our church for about six years. And probably from about 2004, 2003 or 4, through to 2010 or thereabouts. And um, I want you to spot the different fishing grounds, so to speak that saw them cross the line of faith. And if you're someone that was serving or still continues to serve in those particular areas, be encouraged today. Simon and Elaine Hearn are now living in the United States and their hearts were changed when they over there had a mission trip into Vietnam and their hearts were broken by the things that broke the heart of God as they've now involved as full-time missionaries to children in Vietnam. But their journey in many ways started here. Let's be encouraged.
1: Your journey uh, both to the United States and more specifically your journey uh, to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It didn't begin at birth, Um, it began later on in life. And what I'd like for everybody to hear is how you came to faith in Jesus Christ.
2: So I met Christ as a young teenager Um, But sadly, it was a very short journey at that time. I wasn't in a believing family and I didn't get connected with the church. And so within just a couple of years, I had drifted away. But you know, God is faithful and he didn't give up on me. And it took about 25 years before I actually answered and opened that door again. But um, so we moved at that time, we were living in Sydney, Australia and we had our four wonderful children and God just started working in an amazing way in our family. I was attending a mums group in a local Baptist church with Chester, our youngest, and um, our children were actually hearing the Word of God scripture in the local public elementary school. Volunteers came in and taught once a week and they were responding to God's word. So God was working in all of our hearts. And this ended up with me joining the local Baptist church and renewing my commitment to Christ. And then God was working on Simon.
1: I was the more resistant one, or maybe the slow learner, I guess. So um, I was 42 years, no God, no church, no religion, um, really just as an independent kind of guy. And um, I was working hard to spend time with my family, to earn enough money to enjoy good weekends with them and then at the time for me unfortunately this thing called the church was getting in the way so um it was taking elaine and the kids to a church on sunday now uh, i was really resentful of that to, to be very honest i i worked really hard to have my weekends and then this thing called the church which i thought was about families was taking my family away from me into church so I mean, God was far smarter than me, of course, but I, I thought the well, best strategy is I'll bear it, I'll go along, I'll sit at the back, I'll sit right at the back where some of you guys are, and, um, <laughs> and I will just uh, endure it. I'll try to find all the hypocrisy, point it out to my kids, talk them out of it, and then get them out of this thing called the church so that I could re-establish our nice family at home rather than me mowing the lawn on my own. And so I sat at the back and then just like this situation here, a pastor got up and started preaching and then I had a road to Damascus experience. It was frightening. I can tell you it's frightening. It was as if everybody else just faded away. There was me sitting at the back, this pastor guy speaking the word of God right into my heart and it frightened the life out of me. I nearly ran out the door. And um, I, I spent the week trying to work out what it was. Maybe I'm coming down with an illness. I must have the flu. Elaine's poisoned me with the food or something. To, <laughs> so I really didn't know what it was. But to be to be very, very clear, I came back the following week um, just to kind of prove to myself it was a one-off. And exactly the same thing happened. Different sermon. The preacher just preached straight into my heart. Next thing I know, I'm... Uh, signing up for a, something called Christianity Explained with an elder at the church. And then at the age of 42, three months later, I committed my life to Christ. And uh, it's been fantastic. Very quickly, I just had this enormous appetite for the Word. So I, I think I, I read through the Bible twice in the first six months. I was just so, so into trying to learn. And uh, my, the elder that was kind of coaching me uh, pointed me to seminary and said, Simon, you better go to seminary school. So literally within eight months of, uh, of first walking into that church, I signed up as a, a seminary student in, uh, in Sydney, in Australia, and uh, uh, completed a couple of master's degrees, in fact, here at University of Northwestern. As Christ's love really began to overwhelm you from the inside out, um, what, what did that look like as you began to, to, to just sense that overwhelming, being compelled by the love of Christ to move you to connect with a community, um, a church, to begin to serve, uh, use your gifts, and, and perhaps even begin the process of sharing your faith with others? Because I know that was an important part of who you are.
2: Well, given my history, obviously one of the first things for me was to make sure that I stayed connected. So coming back into the church, it was really important first and foremost to join a life group. Going from there, I then joined a prayer group and also became involved in serving in the church. At that time, we were serving the refugees from Sudan that were living in Sydney at that time, helping to teach them English. But it was that connected piece and making sure that I was actually keeping myself accountable and growing in my faith by serving and, and fellowshipping and studying with fellow Christians was, was really huge.
0: What a remarkable story. Um, Simon and Elaine, if you're looking, we just want to um, thank you for the encouragement that your story has been to us and to many different ministries of our church, you might just like to yell out some of those ministries that you can identify as reaching into the lives of Simon and Elaine. So why don't you just go for it? Play group. Scripture in schools, yeah. Sorry? Prayer group, yeah. Step beyond. Life groups, small groups, Men, well, it was Christianity Explained and then someone mentoring, actually Rob took Simon through and has stayed in contact, Rob and Kerry, um, which has been absolutely fantastic. There are so many different avenues where the lives of these people were, were touched and that's what we want to do. That's what a discipleship community is all about, real people, touching the lives of other people who need to know Jesus. He is a man for 42 years, Live without it. That actually runs for 12 minutes, that little interview. We've just cut it right down. But if you wanted to have a look at it, he then goes to say, there was a question that asked, what difference has it made? And Simon simply says, I have hope. Yeah, it's great, isn't it, to see people take hold of hope. People who had no hope before take hold of hope. I just want to finish by, um, by going back to the account of Terence Kelly. If you um, hone in on Google Maps on this little town of Carnarvon, population 4,400 people, and you kind of stream out a little bit, you'll see that there are six churches in that place. And I raise that not to make an attack on the churches in Carnarvon. Far from it. But it's actually for us to answer the question and to ask ourselves the question. How many people, how many people are living alone, disconnected, without hope, within a walking distance of our own church? People who desperately need to know hope the hope that comes from Jesus. And the question for us today, friends, is do we care? And how can we engage? Because that's what a discipleship community is all about. People coming into a relationship with Jesus, having hearts that are changed, and themselves being engaged in reaching our world for Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do want to praise you and thank you. You're a good, good God. For those of us who are followers, Father, we thank you for the difference that you've made in our lives. We thank you for the transformation that you are still undertaking in our lives, that where you're making us more aware of the needs of those around us in our community. And Father, we ask that you would keep speaking in to us about how we can impact lives to bring hope, to bring your healing. And Father, if there's anyone here today that needs to know you, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts even now and give them the courage to connect this morning. They too may take hold of this hope. And we give you praise and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.